you young people. God does not call every Christian to foreign missions. Now, the emphasis there is foreign missions. But every Christian should struggle with the possibility. Every single one of us at some point in our Christian journey should beg God for clarity on whether he has called us to foreign missions. God has called every Christian to be involved in local missions. Every Christian. I desperately want God to call young people from this place to go out into the world and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe being a missionary is one of the greatest callings, one of the highest callings. Thank you, young people. That song touched my heart. We're in Psalm 67 this morning. Psalm 67. We're going to look at an Old Testament passage concerning missions. We're just looking at two verses. Now you know that means nothing as far as time with me. But hopefully we'll be done in a timely manner. Psalm chapter 67, the Bible says this, God, be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that thy way may be known upon earth, thy saving health among all nations. Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts this morning. I pray that we would see your heart even revealed here in the Old Testament and the other scriptures that we will reference this morning. We will realize that you are a God who has a heart for all people. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand the heartbeat of the word of God, of the word that you've given to us was the redemption of man. Father, that we would fulfill your design and your desire for our hearts and lives. May this missions conference be a pivotal missions conference in the history of great hope and in our hearts and lives. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. William Carey had to overcome great odds to obey the call of God. Oswald J. Smith noted this in a book he wrote, which is entitled In the Challenge of Life, Smith noted that even the directors of the East India Company opposed Carey's work. Following is the idiotic resolution they presented to Parliament. All right, so this is a secular company that was so against missions that they submitted a resolution to the governing body of their country. This was the resolution. The sending out of missionaries into one eastern possession is the maddest, most extravagant, most costly, most indefensible project which has ever been suggested by a moonstruck fanatic. 
How would you like for one of our representatives or a secular company uh, within the state of Virginia, let's just take it to our state uh, government, to submit a resolution to the House of Delegates or to the Virginia Senate concerning the work that God had called you to do. It doesn't stop there. In the book, he goes on and he says this, In 1796, the General, 96, the General Assembly of the Church of Scotland passed the following infamous resolution. To spread the knowledge of the gospel amongst barbarians and heathens seems to be highly preposterous. One speaker in the House of Commons said that he would rather see a band of devils let loose in India than a band of missionaries. Such was the opposition to missions when Kerry set forth, and yet he was able to write, Why is my soul disquieted within me? Things may turn out better than I expect. Everything is known to God, and God cares. Of course, William Carey stood the test and became the father of modern missions. The men who would write such resolutions or make such statements are men who did not understand the God of heaven. And it doesn't matter if you look at the New Testament or the Old Testament, you see the God of heaven is a God that has a missions heart. Sometimes we focus just on the New Testament text when it comes to this idea of going forth. But realize this, God had his eye on the world when he sent Jesus Christ. And even back in the beginning, when he makes this covenant with Abraham, he had his eye not just on the Jewish people, but the whole world. This morning, we like to look from this psalm and see a missions message from the psalms. The first thing we see in verse number one was the delight of God. Now, this first aspect of this prayer that the psalmist is praying is an aspect of prayer that is focused on the inward, if you will. He's focusing it on himself or in the nation of Israel. And he says this, God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah. This is an adaptation, really, of the priestly prayer that was given in Numbers chapter 6, beginning in verse 23, let me read this for you. It says, Speak unto Aaron and unto his son, saying, On this wise ye shall bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. And so this was a prayer that the, the priests were commanded to pray towards the children of Israel to bless them. And we see the psalmist uh, really reaching back and using some of that same verbiage as he's praying this prayer to God in intercession for the children of Israel and, and for his, his own self as well. When we think about the delight of God, he is desperately desiring for God to do something for him and for Israel. What are those things? Well, first, we have a prayer of mercy. He says, God, be merciful unto us. Why? Because we need his mercy. Someone says, well, I'm saved. I've experienced the mercy of God. <laughs> yes, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have entered into a relationship with Christ. You have your sins forgiven and you have experienced great mercy. But the mercy of God did not stop the moment we began in our relationship with Christ. The truth of the matter is we need mercy every day. We need God's mercy because of our inconsistency. Because each day we fail. Do you realize this, that even with the failures that we have, just 
post-salvation, we are, uh, we would, it would be very um, easy for us to suffer all kinds of consequences. Oh, I'm not saying that someone would lose their salvation. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am trying to explain is this, is that you and I are inconsistent enough that we do not merit the blessing of God. And we need His mercy every day. We struggle with some of the basics. We struggle with just prayer. I, I was listening to a, uh, to a message just recently, and, and the preacher made a great point, a point that I've seen. Uh, the Bible says the, the righteous or the, the fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And he said this, he says, if you're righteous, you should pray. And he made this connection. He said it's the godly, right? It's a godly man that prays. And if you don't pray, then you're not godly. And I thought, that's so true. And yet we struggle. We struggle in the basics of the Christian life. We struggle with, with sins that we should have gained victory over a long time ago in the, in the process of our spiritual growth. How easily we have resentment. How easily someone can uh, irritate us. How easily we can become distracted by this world. How many desires do we have in our hearts for this world and not for the next one? We need God's mercy because of our pride. We're very quick to judge the children of Israel. We're very quick to say, man, I'll tell you what, boy, they didn't get it at all, did they? You know, they would be experiencing the blessing of God and everything would be going uh, hunky-dory, as we used to say as a kid, right? And then all of a sudden, what would happen? They begin to shift. They begin to move away from God. They would begin to allow... Uh, the pollutions of the land to begin to creep into their hearts and all of a sudden they'd find themselves worshiping other gods and God would begin to send prophets and God would begin to send uh, men to say, whoa, 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 don't do that. Don't go that way. Don't worship other gods. You're violating the covenant you've made with God. What would happen then? God would say, oh, I'm going to send warnings and he would send warnings and warnings and warnings and all of a sudden, one of the inhabitants of the land would come in and begin to plague them. They would come in and begin to take them captive. And all of a sudden, the children of Israel would find themselves stricken and, and smitten by the enemies of God. Or they'd find themselves enslaved or ruled over uh, under a harsh thumb by the enemies of God. And what would they do? They'd begin to cry out to God. They, they would cry out in repentance and they would cry out for God's mercy. And God would have mercy on them. And, and he delivered them. And then they would be in that prosperous time where they were serving God and over and over and over again we see the children of Israel going through this cycle really just using God for a pain reliever seeking God when it hurt but yet we do the same thing hey let me tell you something I'm more faithful to pray when things aren't going the way I think they should we're inconsistent we need the mercy of God. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 22 and 23 says, It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16. There's a phrase in this verse, a very familiar verse, but this phrase gets overlooked for some reason. It says, Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace. Not, not in a capricious way, not in a cavalier way, not in, in a, in a um, 
in a way that would be prideful. We're not, we're not walking into the throne of God with an attitude of arrogance. No, but we can have confidence to come into the throne of God. And look what it says, that we may obtain mercy. Amen. Many times we want to skip over that phrase. We want to get to the phrase and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, we always want God's grace, and we want that enabling of God because we have this need, and I want to come before the throne of God, and I have confidence that as a loving Father, He's going to help, and He's going to give the grace. But the first reason that we can come boldly before the throne of grace is to obtain mercy. We need mercy today. Not only was this a prayer of mercy, it was a prayer of blessing. He says, God, be merciful unto us and bless us. Philippians chapter 4, and we've talked about this. This is a missions-giving church, and so this promise was directly related to a church that was giving to missions. And he says this, But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, I know this. There's other passages that teach us that if you're a child of God, he promises to take care of your needs. You know what your needs are? Your needs are the bare necessities, right? They're the basic minimum. God promises to take care of the basic minimum. But here, the psalmist isn't asking for the bare minimum. The psalmist is asking for the blessing of God. It reminds us of James chapter 1 and verse 17 where it says, For every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. I'll tell you about you. I don't know about you, but I want the blessing of God. I don't want just the bare minimum. I don't want just the needs. <laughs> By the way, I have a lot of wants. I'm one of those guys. I just am. You know, this is one of the things that I don't, I don't fully understand my wife, right? Because she's a woman and I'm learning. I'm trying to dwell with her according to knowledge. And I've learned her a lot more over the years, 20 years of marriage. But <clears throat> I can ask her, what do you want? She's like, I don't know. No one's ever asked me that and I said that. I mean, I, when I'm done with Christmas, I already know what I want for next Christmas. I try to stack them together. I really do. Like, well, the goal is this, and I can't milk everybody for everything on one Christmas. So we can work over this number of year period and get to the goal, right? It's just it's strategic planning. You can ask me the day of Christmas, and I can tell you, well, next year I think we're going to accomplish this. I've always known what I've wanted. Even as a kid, my dad would take me to the store for Christmas shopping. He said, what do you want? I'd say, I want that. He goes, okay, go find your mom. <laughs> and that showed up. <clears throat> and I realized this, it is, the, it is the God of heaven that is the giver of good gifts. The psalmist didn't want the, the bare minimum. I, I think of Psalm chapter 1, the description and, and really the uh, the prescription for uh, the blessings of God. What Blessed is the man. That walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law that he meditate day and night. Look at this description. He says, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever doeth shall prosper. All oh, the psalmist here wanted the blessings of God. Now, I think it would, we would be remiss if we didn't stop for a moment and think about the blessings that we've experienced just because we live in this country. That, that the world is trying to illegally get into this country because they know that living in poverty in America is living in wealth compared to the other regions of the world. 
God has blessed America. God has blessed us individually. The psalmist was not just asking for the bare minimum. He was asking for the blessing of God. I remember when I was in college and this preacher came and preached about the psalm that talks about the tokens of good. Has God ever given you a token of good? Just you just come around the corner in your, in your life as you're walking through life, enjoying your relationship with God, and there's just a token of good. Maybe something you had thought about but hadn't really prayed about. Something that maybe was, oh, Monday I'll get something like that or do something like that or a blessing here or a blessing there. And God's just like, I love you and blesses you. This is the blessing that the psalmist desired. This is the blessing that we should desire in our lives. Not only was he praying for God's mercy, he was praying for God's blessing, but he was praying for God's favor. Look what it says in the text. It says, and cause his face to shine upon us. His face to shine upon us. We see this statement woven through the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 4 and verse 6. It says, there be many that say, who will show us any good? Lord, lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Psalm 31 and verse 16, make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Psalm Chapter 80, verses 1 through 7 says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, that thou, thou that dwellest between the cherubim. Shine forth, shine forth. In verse 7 he says, Turn us, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Verse 19, Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts. Cause thy face to shine, up, and we shall be saved. Psalm 119 and verse 135, Make thy face to shine upon thy servant, and teach me thy statutes. Oh, David is asking for the favor of God. Oh, friend, do you realize this? God does not have to favor us. He does not have to favor this church. There are thousands, maybe even millions of Christians across the world, and God can use any one of them to do something. He doesn't have to use us. He's not obligated to us. You say, well, do you know what I've done for Christ? I don't care. I don't care what you've done. Listen, God is not obligated to favor us and to use us in some particular, specific way. And yet the psalmist desired the favor of God. God could have chosen any nation to bring about the Messiah, but God chose the children of Israel and the Hebrews and he favored them with the blessing of bringing about the Messiah. And God promised to favor them if they would walk in his ways. All the psalmist here desired the favor of God. Isn't it fascinating? We think about shining thy countenance upon, the, upon us or the, the light of thy face upon us or to shine forth. You know what 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Oh, isn't this amazing that through Jesus Christ we can have the light of Christ shining within us that we are a reflection of Jesus Christ, that you and I under the new covenant now are children of God being grafted into this plan that God has given to us, and yet we could still desire the favor of God, and we should desire the favor of God. Here the psalmist is directing his prayer. It's a, it's a desperate cry for God uh, to, to bless them and have mercy on them and to favor them. But it doesn't stop there. 
Next, we see the design of God. In verse 2, it says that. Uh-oh. You know what that means? That means that all that the psalmist is praying in verse number 1 has a reason. That the psalmist is praying for the mercy and the blessing and the favor of God, and it all hinges on why. Why does he want God's mercy? Why does he want God's blessing? Why does he want God's favor? Does, does he want these things so he can live his best life now? And does he want these things so that he can, uh, so that he can uh, amass to himself uh, the pleasures of this world? Does he want these things so that he can be secure and not have a worry in the world and, and so he can uh, just kind of do his own thing? No. He gives us the reason for this prayer, this desperate prayer of God's desire. He says that thy way may be known upon the earth. You, you know why the psalmist wanted God to act this way? It's so that he could be a testimony to the world. That the world would look at his life and say, oh, you know what? There's something different about that person. Why Israel? There's something different about Israel. Why they don't serve the false gods that we serve, and yet we see that their God is the true God. We see that their God is a righteous God. We see that their God is a powerful God. That the way of God would be known. We know this, that through general revelation, God declares his person. Through creation, through conscience, Romans chapter 1 teaches us this. And yet the world is willfully ignorant of God. The world does not love God because it does not know God. The world is seeking for love, for joy, for peace, but it's seeking in all the wrong places. And the way of God is directly linked to the word of God. If you want to know the God of heaven, you must know his word. And I, and I say that in a duplistic idea. Uh, first, you must know the living word, which is Jesus Christ, but you must also know the written word. For we find in the pages of this book, a living, a living book, we find God's face and his favor. In this book, we learn of our Savior and we grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I think of Paul's prayer for the Israelites during his ministry in chapter 10 and verse 1 of Romans is his brother my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved for I bear them record that they have a zeal of God but not according to knowledge for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God this is a, a great description of the world in which we live how many people will go to some religious building today? How many people in the world today will assemble and follow some tradition and some work and some uh, uh, incorrect theology because they think they have to earn their way to heaven? They're seeking their own righteousness and not the righteousness of God. Romans chapter 10 continues to teach us about faith, it says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Praise God for that open invitation. 
Oh, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the gospel is for you. That you can be a whosoever in this moment. That you can call upon the name of the Lord and you can be saved. You can believe in Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection and experience the joy and the peace that this world can't explain. It goes on, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and break glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? And then in verse 17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Oh, the psalmist wanted the world to know the way of God, which is directly linked to the word of God. And he wanted all of these things he prayed for, God's mercy upon them and blessing and favor to be a reflection of the God of heaven so that the world would look and see that there is a God. And they would understand who he was. We see New Testament passages in verse Matthew 5 and verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. Do all things without murmuring and disputings that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Oh, the psalmist wanted God to bless him. The psalmist wanted God's mercy and favor so that the world would then look at him and know that he was a child of God. That there was a God who was real. And there was a God who was working in the affairs of men. The last thing the psalmist wanted is the deliverance of God. He says there in verse 2 that the way may be that thy way may be known upon the earth. So this is the first reason he wanted God's mercy and blessing and favor. The second reason he wanted God's mercy, blessing, and favor was that thy saving health among the nations. He could say it this way, that the whole world would know thy saving health among the nations. That the world would look out and see the salvation of God even among the nations. Not just the children of Israel, here the psalmist's eye stops gazing just at Israel and it goes beyond Israel and it captures the heart of God that the world would know God, that the world would know that there is a God who is real, that the world would know that there is a God who intervenes in the, in the lives of men and that the world would know the deliverance that only God can give. The nations around the world. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3 when God was speaking to Abraham, he said, and I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. In thee. Of course, we know the fulfillment of that is Jesus Christ coming of the tribe of Judah, being the savior of the world, that the world, the whole world is blessed in the fact that there is a opportunity and a way of salvation to cure us from the enslavement of sin. I, my mind goes to when Solomon dedicates the temple in 1 Kings chapter 8. Listen to what Solomon prayed beginning in verse 41, moreover concerning a stranger 
that is not of thy people Israel, but cometh out of a far country for thy name's sake. For they shall hear of thy great name, and of thy strong hand, and of thy stretched out arm, when he shall come and pray towards this house. Hear thou in heaven thy, thy dwelling place, and do according to all that the stranger calleth to thee. For that all people of the earth may know thy name to fear thee and to do as thy people Israel. And that they may know that this house which I have built is called by thy name. That even when Solomon, God directed Solomon to build the temple as he's praying and dedicating the temple to God, in his prayer, he inserts this, this, these few verses about the stranger, about the person who is not a child of Israel. That they could come and worship the true God of heaven and that the true God of heaven would have a relationship with them. That salvation was offered to the nations. That salvation has always been about the world, not just the Jewish people. Salvation has been available in every dispensation. Of course, then we have the direct commands now in the New Testament. It says, go ye therefore and teach all nations. baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. So he commands us to go into the world, and then he says, by the way, I'm going to be with you. And then Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost part of the earth. Now listen, here's the connection, right? Here's the connection. The connection for you and I is this, is that the psalmist is praying for the mercy of God and the blessing of God, which I believe goes beyond just the bare minimum, goes beyond just the, the survival of uh, our survival by meeting just our needs. He's asking for God's favor. Why? Well, so that God would be known, but also so that the nation's would see and understand and receive the salvation that God offers. The saving power of God. I think it's very important for us to connect the dots and to realize that if our heartbeat is not for missions, then I don't believe we'll ever experience the blessing and the favor of God. I think a Christian who does not care about the lost is not a Christian who is walking in a place of fellowship with God. If we have no care and no concern for the lost, if we're like, well, just as long as my family's saved, that's all that matters. If that's what reverberates in our heart, if we say, you know, if we have this idea that, uh, that the gospel's for our church and just for our church only and we've got who we want and we're just going to stay put and we're just going to stay, you know, grounded and, 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 you know, we don't really want to grow any and we're just going to stay the way we are and, you know, we have a few things we do but we're really not interested in actually winning Chesapeake, right? Or, or if we have this idea like, well, you know, we've, we've given a lot to missions and, you know, the Lord, the Lord, boy, I'll tell you what, he's lucky to have us, Right? If we do not have a burning passion to be used of God, to send the gospel around the world, then I don't think we'll experience these things that the psalmist prays for. Wednesday night, we heard a, a wonderful exposition, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, by one of our um, seasoned missionaries, veteran missionaries. 
And boy, he made some great, if you have not, if you weren't here Wednesday night, you should go online and watch that service. But he makes some great connections that God blesses us for a purpose. And the purpose that God blesses us is for the gospel. It's for the gospel. And here we see that same thing in the Old Testament. That the psalmist desired these things so that God would be known and so that the heathen could be saved. Oh, that our heartbeat would be that. title of a book once that I read was this may the passion of the cross be the purpose of our lives C.T. Studd said this if Jesus Christ be God and died for me then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him oh that we would have a desire for these things that God can give but only so we can fulfill the design of God and so the world can experience the deliverance that only God provides. May we go further in the gospel this year than we've ever done. May we go forward. May we never get to a place in pride where we are willing to stand still and admire the past, but may we move forward with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you'd work in our hearts this morning. I pray that you would help us to have the same prayer and passion that, this psalm, that the psalmist had. Father, that we would not desire your mercy and your blessings and your favor in a selfish way, but we would desire these things in a way in which we are a conduit of your grace and a conduit of your message of salvation so that the world may know that there is a God in heaven who loves them came to this earth and died on an old rugged cross, was buried and rose again so that they could be saved from their sin. Before I finish my prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, maybe you sit here this morning and you'd say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure if I were to die today that I would go to heaven. I'm not sure that if I were to exit this building and tragically get in a car wreck and step into eternity I'm not sure, I'm not 100% sure that when my eyes closed in this life that they would open in the presence of Jesus Christ in heaven. And I'm concerned. Listen, we'd love to pray for you. I'd love to pray that God continues to work in your heart. My prayer can't save you. But maybe you sit there this morning and you're concerned about your eternal soul. And you'd say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. In the privacy of this moment, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I wouldn't call your name out even if I knew it. I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want to pray anonymously for you. Is there anyone like that this morning? Just slip your hand up and put it down. Anyone at all? I'm not sure I'm saved. Christian, can I ask you these things? Can I ask you this question? Are you praying for God's mercy, blessing, and favor? And you're doing so from a heart of selfishness and worldliness? Are you doing it from a heart of service are you saying God put the resources in my life and in my hands so that I can be a blessing when it comes to the gospel or are you saying just put the resources in my hands so I can have them because there's a huge difference between them and the psalmist desired these things so that the way of God would be known and that the nations would experience the saving power of God 
I pray that our prayer this week will be the same as the psalmist. If you would stand with me, let's pray. Father, I pray that you work in hearts as only you can. I pray now in this invitation that you would allow the Holy Spirit to constrain our hearts and help us to to be passionate about the gospel. Father, I pray that you would do more this year than we've ever done through us in evangelizing the world with the gospel, both here in Chesapeake and around the world. Father, I pray that you'd work. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. With heads bowed and eyes closed as the pianist begins to play, how about you, friend? Oh, I love this song. This is a great song. I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed his name to bear. I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian. I'll take him with me every, anywhere. Are we telling the world? Are we passionate about the lost? Or are we self-absorbed? I'll say this, listen, if you give money to faith promise and to missions and yet you're not willing to tell your neighbor about Christ, there's a problem. Oh, that we would be consumed with the Great Commission. Take your hymnals this morning, turn to page 285. We'll sing a verse and chorus of this before Mr. Halleck comes and dismisses us. May this be our prayer this week. I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian. I'm not ashamed his name to bear. I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian and take him with me. Anywhere I'll tell the world how Jesus saved me and how he gave me a life brand new, and I know that if you trust him, that all he gave me, he'll give to you. I'll tell the my Savior, no other one could love me so, my life, my all is his forever, and where he leads